missing our children downstairs as well. As they continue their journey in the Gospel Project, what an amazing thing it is to see visibly that God is at work in the world. All right? Easy for us to think that maybe all that's going on in the world, like where is God? He's right here on display, writing His grace on the hearts of men, women, and children. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? God's at work in the world. We praise Him for it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24, 15 through 28. Matthew 24, 15 through 28. The disciples asked Jesus, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Do you remember that from last week? It's important to anchor really the rest of the summer in understanding the passages that we're looking at are basically Jesus answering the disciples' question. They come to him and they ask, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And by way of reminder, this question posed to Jesus by the disciples seeks to gain some sort of clarity about two things that they can't separate. One, when, what will be the timing of the destruction of Jerusalem? Do you remember that from last week? What will be the timing of the coming judgment on Jerusalem? And also, what kinds of signs would accompany your return and really the end of the world? All that is one for them. And so over the next seven weeks or so, we continue to hear the way in which Jesus answers this question in what has traditionally been called the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives. This answer, remember, provides a framework for how the first century believers would live faithfully as disciples, how they would live. But not only that, this becomes a way to understand the characteristics of the day in which we live. The days that all believers live in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And so today, Jesus continues. He continues to shape their understanding. And really, what we're going to see today is that Jesus is preparing His disciples to faithfully endure. Do you remember that phrase from last week? The one who endures to the end will be saved. Yeah, he's preparing in his words his disciples to faithfully endure two things. Opposition, overwhelming opposition, and deception. That's what Jesus is doing this morning as he teaches and instructs his disciples, preparing them for the days in which they will live, days that will be characterized by overwhelming opposition and constant attempts to deceive them and lead them astray. But let's not forget, all of this prepares them for the day in which he would indeed return. Amen? 
So that's what we're going to see. I'm kind of giving you the answer at the beginning today. Grab your Bibles. Matthew 24, 15 through 28. And I want to say a personal side comment this morning. It's not about me, but I often think it's good for us to come on solid footing when we come to church uh, together each week. I want to confess to you, the last couple of days I've had some physical issues, like some pain in my chest, and, what, and I just feel ho- unbelievably weak as a preacher this morning. Just physically, I don't feel prepared. I got something written down, and you know it's going to be long. But I come to you weak, trusting only in the Word. And I wonder if I flip that to you this morning. Do you come as a weak listener? Do you come tired, broken, and just life came at you? And you're just here. And really you come weak, broken, and you just need to hear the words of Christ as your only hope this morning. Is that you today? I just wonder if we could be there together. Just trust in the word of Christ when we're feeling weak. right? We press on because we know that we feast and we're nourished by Christ's enduring word for us. And so as you're one of your elders, weak, members, attenders coming weak, let's draw near in weakness to the power of God and the word. Can we do that together? Let's hear what Matthew says. Thanks for putting up with my tidbits. Matthew 24, 15 through 28. Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let not the one, I'm sorry, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, No human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. See? I have told you beforehand so that if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For his lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there 
the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you in weakness, trusting in the power and strength of your abiding and eternal word. Spirit of God, speak to us, strengthen us, feed us, feed us, and nourish us. And use this time to mobilize your people for a life of worship and a life of mission. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of, my, one of the most lighthearted, easy, clear phrases in the Bible. Ready? Abomination of desolation. You get my sarcasm. Abomination of desolation. Jesus says right there in verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, what in the world is going on? What is Jesus talking about as he gives this answer to the disciples? What do you mean the abomination of desolation? What is meant by this phrase? An odd phrase, right? Odd. Bizarre. Even in saying it, without even knowing the meaning, we might begin to take some guesses, throw some shots at it. And even as we do, we feel it's, there's a heaviness to that phrase. There's something a little uncomfortable about the phrase, the, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, just as spoken by the prophet Daniel. What is going on here? Well, you can't understand what Jesus is talking about if you don't have at least some understanding of what's going on in the prophet Daniel. Right? A clear pointer to where the source of this phrase comes from. If you look at Daniel, this phraseology or something very similar to it comes up four times. But in chapters 9 through 11 in, in, the, in the prophet Daniel, we see this phrase come up. In chapter 9, 26 and 27, Daniel is prophesying about a prince who would come to destroy the city, that is the city of Jerusalem, along with its temple and its sacrifices. This abomination of desolation would be at some point some wicked, evil, idolatrous ruler would show up to Jerusalem and would desecrate it, defile it, and ultimately destroy the temple, its system, and sacrifices. Daniel 11, you see it come up again. Verse 31 says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. It's a difficult phrase, but it's simply this, that Daniel would prophesy that a ruler from outside of Israel would come and would be the instrument by which God would uh, execute his judgment on his people for their covenant infidelity. That's what's taking place 
in Daniel 9-11. through This is an expectation that the Jews lived with, and they thought for sure that Antiochus Epiphanes in AD 168, or I'm sorry, BC 168, so before Jesus, that Antiochus Epiphanes was this abomination of desolation. Right, it was in 168 BC that the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes showed up to Jerusalem, captured the city, he marched right into the Jerusalem temple, he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus right there in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And he even offered up a pig as a sacrifice on the altar of incense. You talk about an abomination. You talk about defiling. You talk about desecration. You talk about an abominable thing to the Lord. They thought for sure. Well, there it was. It happened. And yet, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying to these disciples in this time, so therefore, when you see, when you When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, he is basically saying, yes, Antiochus Epiphanes, that might have been an initial partial fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, but there is still more to come in a more uh, full way. That that wasn't fulfilled, that more is to come. Are you following me right now? That these disciples, that these people were living in an expectation that the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about back in Daniel 9-11 through is still yet to come. So he's saying, fulfillment's not complete. The abomination of desolation is coming and you will see it. This generation, you in your time. That's what he's saying to these disciples in this generation. And as we understand, which we pointed to last week, this is exactly what happened in the A.D. 70, when, during the Roman siege of the city of Jerusalem, that Titus the general of the Roman army came in with the Roman uh, uh, stamp and sign and symbol and walked right into the Holy of Holies. And as Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon another. That's exactly what we know took place in redemptive history that Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And the abomination of desolation was fulfilled in that time. So he says to them, when you see these things taking place in your time, in your day, this is what you're supposed to do. Look at verse 16-19. through He says, run for your life. Those who live in Judea, again, you're wondering, is he speaking to those people? What do you think? Those who live in Judea, flee to the mountains, run for your lives. It's an interesting admonishment to them. I mean, we might think they would stand up and fight. It's their home, it's their city, it's their land. Let's stand up. These are our families. You think of all the atrocities that Josephus records that actually took place, you would think they would stand up and fight for their city, 
But Jesus says, no, run, flee. Why? Because the reality of the judgment that's coming on Jerusalem is inescapable. You cannot survive it. Nothing can stand in its way. It's the word of the Lord. Run for your lives. It is going to be an intense and inescapable expression of divine judgment upon these religious leaders, upon an unfaithful nation, and on that city. Run for your lives. He also says, pray, verses 21 and 22, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. As they thought about these expectations in this horrible tribulation that was coming, Jesus is saying, pray. Pray. Cry out to the Lord for mercy in the timing of when this takes place. Because guess what? If it happens in the winter, it's gonna, which is the raining season, man, it's going to be difficult to travel. Going across streams and brooks and rivers, it's going to be difficult for you. Pray that this does not happen in the winter. Pray it doesn't happen on the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath, all the, the, the stores are closed. There's no availability of supplies. The, the, the wall, the gates to the city are closed off on the Sabbath. You'll not be able to travel. So pray. This is going to be intense. This is going to be horrific. This is going to be inescapable. Pray for the Lord's mercy in the timing of this. And oh, by the way, he says, a loss for the women, right? Who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Hard to travel with a baby. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. So got an amen. See? It's hard to travel. Pray. Pray for the women. Pray for mercy in this timing. And then he goes on to say, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. There he is. Don't believe him. False Christ, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. Remember we talked about this last week. That there will be many Attempts by false prophets and false Christs to lead you astray. He says to them again, do not believe them. Do not follow them. So he's saying to them, one, flee. Two, pray. Three, don't believe false Christs and prophets. Don't follow after them. And last, I think by implication, in verse 27, he says to them, know the manner of my return. Right? Because that's part of it. These people are going to rise up, these false Christs and prophets, and, and they're going to think in the midst of all this chaos and opposition and all this tribulation that's come upon the city that there's going to be, oh, there he is. He, there's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to save us. He's hiding out in the wilderness. Go see him. Oh, there he is. Go into the inner rooms. That's where he is. And there might be some temptation to say, Jesus came back. The Messiah came. Let's go find him in the wilderness. Let's go see him in the inner room where he's hiding in secret. Jesus is saying, don't believe them. Why? Because that's not the manner 
of my return. I want you to know the manner of my return. I understand, disciples, that you keep asking about when I'm going to return, but the thing I want you to know is the manner of my return. He says this, right? For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Have you ever seen lightning in the sky? It's instant. It goes from one end of the sky to the other, almost unexpectedly. Bright, visible, public, unmistakable. That's the nature. That's the manner of my return. When I come back, it will be unmistakable. It will be public. It will be visible. It will be a global reality that you can't confuse. So if they say the wilderness are in the inner room, don't believe them. So flee. Run for your lives. Pray for the mercy of God, disciples. Right? Don't believe false Christ, false prophets, and know the manner of my return. That's what he's saying to these disciples in this generation about the tribulation that they would face up until the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? We look back with 2020 hindsight. And we see the prophet Daniel's words reinforced and re-prophesied by Jesus. And then we see its historical outworking in their time. And we can look back on our God and we can see that when God makes a promise, He intends and will fulfill it. God's Word is trustworthy. right? When God says something will happen, it will happen. And so we hear the words of our prophet today, Christ Himself. This is what He says, preparing His disciples for the days and the difficulties in which they were about to live. And some of these details are very specific to them. But as we understand the Scriptures, that they're useful for all of God's people in all of the times in which we live. Amen? This word speaks to us as well. There are implications here that we can draw that enable us to be prepared for the days in which we live. Are you prepared by the Lord's Word for the days in which you live, Christian of 2022? And that's what this Word does. Christ's Word prepares us to faithfully endure opposition and deception as we hope for His return. Right? Verse 9, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for My name's sake. This continues to be a theme for Jesus as we think about the days in which we live. We, as disciples of Jesus, live in the expectation of opposition from the world. Overwhelming opposition 
from the world. Tribulation is a reality for the church in this age. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not right. We're doing pretty good. Right? I got a pool and a picket fence and an SUV. Where is this opposition? Now understand, I'm not saying that in every time between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, that every Christian in every place is enduring the kind of tribulation that Jesus talks about with these disciples. But we understand that it is not simply in this time by these disciples that there was an experience of great tribulation for the church. That throughout the ages, in varying places, in varying degrees, the Christian church, the church of Jesus, has encountered much opposition from the world. Oftentimes, overwhelming. That they were hated for being attached to the name of Jesus. And oftentimes, persecuted unto death. Dying the death of a martyr for the sake of Christ Jesus. This is what we should expect in our day. That as we stand for Jesus, as we proclaim His name, that there will be intense opposition from the world and from Satan, our enemy, that comes against us. And actually, that God allows such opposition to take place to further bear witness to the glory of His name. And that's what we see. As we face this reality, we're called to pray as well. Pray for mercy. You read of uh, stories of the persecution that takes place across the globe. And I think we see in increasing measures here, even in the United States of America, where opposition is coming and people are being persecuted and they're suffering. Man, it is an opportunity for us as the church to pray for them. Do you pray for the persecuted church throughout the world? i got to admit, I can often think in just such uh, uh, small terms and be so myopic when it comes to my prayer life, when it comes to praying for the church, just praying for Reno, praying for our partners. But what about those struggling believers? I think this reality calls us to prayer. That God will be merciful on those who are experiencing this. But even in the midst of this tribulation, I love what Jesus says. He says, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus reassures his disciples that even though the opposition of the world intends even to cause my very own people to be led astray. The reality is, is, in my divine mercy and in my divine sovereignty, those days will be cut short. Amen? Let me say it differently. The days in which we live are not forever. This is not an eternal state in which we live. This is an earthly, temporary existence. And Jesus reassures us and promises that in His grace, He will cut these days short. And He will, as I said last week, preserve His own. He will preserve 
his own. So if you are here and you're trusting in Christ, you're experiencing opposition, and you're dealing with the difficulty, know this, that these days will be cut short, and Jesus will sustain you, and he will preserve you and bring you to where you will eternally be in his presence forever. Amen? These days will be cut short. He makes it clear. This opposition may overwhelm you at times, but it will never overtake you. Amen? We live with that assurance in these days. He goes on again to talk about faithfully enduring deception. As many will try to lead us astray. You think about the world in which we live, all the false teaching. All the gospel light doctrines out there. All the theological minimalism to say, oh, that doesn't matter. All the rephrasing of Christian scripture to promote secular creeds. All the false prophecies. All the false teaching. All the false saviors in the world that say, come, I'll save you. This is what you can entrust your life to. They call us to the wilderness and to the, Ill, to the inner room. Come to me, the world says, with its false doctrine and its false beliefs. Jesus says again, don't believe it. He says it twice in this passage. Don't go there. I love these words. You see, I have told you beforehand. Told you beforehand. These false prophets, this false teaching will constantly arise. As I said last week, our antennas should always be up in the world around us, discerning ideas. Ideas have consequences in our life. Let's discern the ideas that we hear. Let's listen in a way that allows the truth of the Word of God to be the authority and the filter through which we discern what is true and what is false. Again, it is pivotal for us as the church to be anchored in the truth of the Word of God constantly. That's why we preach the Bible. That's why we discuss the Bible at Missional Community. That's why we have discipling relationships. That's why we're teaching our students the catechism to teach them the truth of Scripture and anchor every one of our lives in the truth to combat the falsehood that's in the world. Jesus says, I've told you beforehand. What a gracious act by our Savior. You don't need to wonder what's going to happen. You don't need to wonder what you're going to deal with Here's what it is. Overwhelming opposition. Cut short those days. And constant deception. I've told you beforehand. I've prepared you to endure faithfully in the face of opposition and deception until I return. Don't forget that last phrase until I return. If you're wondering what hope we have as believers, it's in verse 27. 
For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Hear the thud of guarantee. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Maybe you wonder, is that just fable and myth? Did Jesus really mean what he said? Again, it goes back to his faithfulness. Every prophetic word that has been given has been fulfilled in Christ, and every one of Christ's word will indeed be fulfilled in God's perfect way and timing. So when we hear Jesus himself saying, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, we can rest assured as the people of God that when he looked into the eyes of the first disciples in, right before he went to the cross and said, see, you'll see me for just a little while longer and then you won't see me. And they freaked out. And then he looked at them and said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in God. Trust in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he goes on later to say, and I will come back for you. Do you believe that today? What's your hope in this life? Is it retirement? Is it a house in Florida? Is it playing golf every day? The hope of the Christian life is beyond some prosperous retirement. The hope of the Christian life in the face of opposition and deception is the return of our Savior. And He will return. This is what we believe. This is the truth of what Christ tells us. And that hope comes to the disciples on the edge of such difficulty. It comes to the disciples in the edge of such a season of great growth in the gospel, which we've already talked about, but also such intense opposition and when it's hard, Jesus gives us hope. And that's what makes hope shine so brightly. So if you're going through difficulty, if it's hard, you're dealing with persecution, if your relationship with Jesus is causing you to be disturbed in any way, shape, or form in this life, that's the perfect backdrop and context for the hope of Christ's return to shine. Get what Spurgeon says. Hope itself is like a star. Not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity. And only to be discovered in the night of adversity. It shines bright at night. Amen? That's why the hope of Christ's return is so important to end with for Jesus. You're going to deal with this. You're going to deal with For us, you're going to deal with opposition. You're going to deal with tribulation. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is not forever, amen? He's told us beforehand. It's easy to read this passage and think, yeah, this is Christ the prophet. Right? Christ is prophesying. He is telling beforehand. Right? He said it. See? I have told you beforehand. He indeed is exercising his office as the prophet of God. But I can't help, as I read the tone of this, whether or not 
I've matched it. You be the judge. The tone of this is so pastoral. Christ the prophet, content. But as I read it more and more, I just see Christ the pastor here. I see Christ our, our priest, our shepherd. Do you see that? He's looking at his disciples who are concerned and curious, who are about to face unthinkable horrors in their generation. He's looking at the church throughout the ages and knowing what they're going to endure, and he's preparing them. See, I told you beforehand, because I love you, because I care about you, because I want you to be equipped for a life of endurance and faithfulness to me because I'm going to preserve you to the end and grant you the very salvation that I've promised and you long for. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage and really through all of them. He's protecting us. He's guiding us. He's preparing us. He's loving us. That's what he's doing. And he loves us by preparing us for the opposition and the deception that we will face as we hope for his return. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your words. We thank you for the strength you provide to preach and to listen. We thank you that as we hear your words, that we are prepared beforehand. That we are corrected in our thinking. That this life is not just one step into prosperity, into another. It's enjoying all the promises that this world lays out for us be so concerned and distracted with amassing wealth and accolades and accomplishment and we can miss out really what this life in you is all about being faithful to you as our God and being faithful to the mission that you've called us to proclaim the gospel to proclaim Jesus to the world you've told us what to expect you've given us your spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would strengthen us to endure, would give us reminders of the hope that we have in Christ, of His return. Make us a people, Lord, that is marked by hope in such difficult days. Not hope in some political schema, but hope in the person and return of Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for this word and all that you do for us each day. Give us faith and hope and love. In Christ's name, amen.